0: I spoke to us this morning from Scripture about what Christians do. That is a part of our continuing series about what Christians do based on the book of Acts. And the specific subject this morning was prayer for each of us. That should be a positive topic. We take delight in the reality that as God's people... We can speak to Him through Jesus Christ. Especially, do we appreciate that when we're under pressure, threat, tempted, exhausted. He is there, but He's there during those times that are peaceful. He's always there. Tonight, something very different yet from Scripture and therefore necessary for us to consider. I'm going to start with Romans 1, 22, and 23, and that requires just a moment of setup. Paul is documenting why human beings need the gospel. Very simple section here in the beginning of the Roman letter, why human beings need the gospel. And the answer is the human problem is sin. Beginning here in chapter 1 and over through chapter 3, verse 23, Paul shows why we need the gospel of Christ. And here's a part of what he said, referring to sinners with these phrases in Romans 1, 22 and 23, claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Have you ever met someone who claimed to be wise but there was evidence otherwise? I think we know what this is about. A claim of wisdom is asserted with a boast But in the conduct of the one boasting, there is evidence otherwise. One translation says at Romans one twenty two, While boasting of their wisdom, they became utter fools. And so here are people who are boasting about how wise they are, yet they're walking away from wisdom and going deeper and deeper into foolishness. That's one example of why the gospel is needed. People boasting about how smart they are while exhibiting utterly foolish behavior. And then verse 23 follows up, explaining, exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Well, all of this in Romans 1, 18 to 31 is an example of why people need the gospel. But here's what I want us to work with tonight for a few minutes. When men become foolish, what do they think? What do they say? What do they do exhibiting their foolishness. This kind of study becomes a warning for us and puts us on alert and helps equip us to help others who may boast of their wisdom, but they're moving in the opposite direction. We're going to look at examples from Scripture about what men do when they become foolish. And I'm going to start all the way back in Genesis. All the way back in Genesis, I'm going to be reading from chapter 11. You may already know what this is about. Genesis chapter 11, 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and settle there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks, burn them thoroughly. And they made brick from stone and butamine for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed and there confused their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. I want you to think about what your thoughts were the first time you really read and studied that passage maybe one of the first internal responses you had when you first became acquainted with this episode in genesis 11 was what's the problem i mean it sounds ambitious and we are all about ambition And isn't progress valuable? What's wrong with building a city and a tower? Let's be united in this, the people said, and make a name for ourselves. So one's first response upon reading this might be, what's the problem? Consider two errors side by side. One is raw human pride. And it's captured by the phrase that identifies the motive, let us make a name for ourselves. And then alongside that, there is a second error. God's will was that people disperse and fill the earth after the flood. And that's stated two chapters earlier, back in Genesis 9 and verse 1, God said, be fruitful And multiply and fill the earth. And we must assume that if that's what God wanted men to do, he revealed it to them. So you have raw human pride and alongside that ignoring God's will. Self-exaltation. Agreed to and undertaken against all wisdom. It's what foolish men do even today. In so many ways men and women start projects that directly defy God's will. Projects, plans, establishments, institutions, campaigns to kill babies inside their mothers for example. Crusades, parades, to celebrate what is vile and unnatural and rebellious against nature and against the creator. Religious empires that have no basis in scripture and in fact resist scripture. When men claim to be wise but move in the direction of foolishness here's one example. They conceive and start projects against God's Will. Turn to Isaiah chapter 30. When men become foolish, they make alliances, leaving God out. Arrangements and alliances, leaving God out. Isaiah 30. The context is God's people were in trouble because of their own sin. And they were now terror stricken by the threat of Assyrian invasion. What did they do? Who did they turn to? How did they prepare to defend themselves against invasion? Isaiah chapter 30. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine. And who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame, and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt, to your humiliation, for though his officials are at zone and his envoys reach Haines, everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit but shame and disgrace. You know, there is a tragic irony in this episode in Israelite history. Israel had been held in bondage. You remember that back in Exodus. Israel had been held in bondage and punished and oppressed by Egypt. And you remember that God through Moses had delivered them from that bondage and that oppression. You remember what we call that? We call that Egyptian bondage. God delivered them from Egyptian bondage. Now they're in trouble. Assyria is the gathering storm to their north. And who do they turn to for help? The Egyptians. See also in chapter 31 in verse 1. Isaiah 31 in verse 1. The charge is repeated. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. They claim to be wise, but they were on their way toward foolishness, seeking help from Egypt instead of God. Today, even among people who speak favorably of God and who claim to depend on Him, yet sometimes when trouble comes, they turn everywhere but to God. They look for solutions in strange human places. They form alliances and initiate fellowship with people and plans that are sweeping compromises deeper and deeper into foolishness. Sometimes, when people just need to turn to God, they don't. They turn in every other direction. They turn to man for help with matters God has addressed, and God has promised that he will provide in his word and in his son. We often may need to say to people, if your life is messed up, the first book you need to turn to is God's book. Have I ever told you about the experience I've had several times going into a bookstore, Barnes and Noble, for example, and somebody walks in and they rush with a frantic look on their face to the self-help section, they've got some problem and they're looking for a book to give them a quick and easy remedy. And they frantically pull one book after another and sometimes you'll see people load themselves with four or five books about that problem from the self-help section and go to the counter quickly and pay for it and maybe look at them while they're in the parking lot. These people who need help. Here's what I want to do haven't had the guts to do it yet. Go get those people by the hand and say, let me show you. And take them over to the Bible section and say, here is the book you need. The first book people need as they navigate issues and problems in their life is God's book. If someone needs forgiveness and guidance, the wise response is to do what God said about turning to Jesus Christ. If a local church is broken and divided and confused, don't call a preacher somewhere out of town and say, do you have a solution? Sit down and read the New Testament. Not turning to God for help. It's what foolish men do, even while claiming to be wise. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 7. When men become foolish, sometimes what they do is ignore warnings. And that drives them further into their foolishness. This is 27 verses, but I don't know of any way to break it up. So we're going to read these 27 verses In Proverbs chapter 7 and here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine as we read Proverbs 7 a father setting down and having a face-to-face serious conversation with his son. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I have looked through my lattice and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening at the time of night and darkness and behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now... I have come out to meet you to seek you eagerly and I have found you I have spread my couch with coverings colored linens from Egyptian linen I have perfumed my bed with myrrh alloys and cinnamon come let us take our fill of love till morning let us delight ourselves with love For my husband is not at home. He is gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. A full moon. uh, At full moon, he will come home. With such seductive speech, she persuades him, and her smooth talk compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol going down to the chambers of death. I believe it's perfectly in keeping with the context of the entire book of Proverbs to read this and picture in your mind a father having a talk with his son. And I would hope, let me add quickly, the corresponding conversation needs to occur between mothers and daughters. So, here's the father and he says to the son, they're eyeball to eyeball. Son, let me tell you about an experience that you may encounter. Your eyes will behold this girl. You will have no knowledge of her character or her intentions. She will just look good to you. Beautiful, inviting, seductive. And the closer you get, the greater will be your desire. And once you get in conversation with her, she will say to you, you were the one. And you will hear promises and invitations and smooth talk. Pay attention to what I'm saying, son. Pay attention to what I'm saying. When this happens, don't go there. Don't go to her. Rather, go to wisdom. Look at verse 4. Say to wisdom, You are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. Know this, my son, when you go to her house. You're going to the chambers of death. Now I wonder how many young men have listened to this fatherly advice and laughed it off. And their lives fell apart when they went to her house. Like an arrow piercing the liver of a hunted animal and a bird caught in a snare. It's what foolish young men often do. One more. Matthew six, nineteen through 24. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. I'll encourage you to read all of Matthew 6 from 19 to the end of the chapter, but you'll get the idea of what we're going to address in 19 to 24. Jesus says... and money. Materialism is the subject in Matthew 6, 19 to the end of the chapter. Materialism is something that can slowly creep into us, no matter our income level, and gradually wear away at our trust in God. Modern commercial marketing is a force to reckon with at the consumer end. Have you noticed that virtually everything that's advertised contains either expressly or between the lines this message? You have to have this. You have to have it. And we're going to make it very easy for you. Just give me the numbers on that plastic card. Or in advertisement, you'll see the phrase 12 easy payments. It's quick and easy, we are told, and you have to have these products. You can't have a good life without these services. Now, I understand and I exhibit in my own life that there are things we need and they are easy to acquire. But we must be aware that as we navigate the consumer marketplace, it's very easy to become a foolish spender. But underneath that, there's another level. There's a deeper matter to bring up. Our dependence on earthly things that can become so persistent the things we buy do not serve us. We serve the things. We center our lives on money and possession and all we see is what we have and what we don't have that we need as quickly as we can. You know what that is that's what jesus calls the eye that fills your life with darkness when all you can see is what you have and what you don't have that you need to get quickly that's the eye that fills your life with darkness and jesus said how great is the darkness when we are so focused on what we have and what we don't have and what we need quickly, we begin to lose our focus on what God has provided for us in Christ and our response to his generosity, which always should be at the very top. So beware of becoming foolish, not only in spending, but in where our heart is is. The prohibition is clear given by Jesus, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. When men and women become foolish, one example is the vain attempt, the vain attempt to serve two masters. Now in Romans 1 18 to 32, we don't want to be anywhere in that. That whole paragraph in Romans 1, 18 to 32, gives examples of why men and women need the gospel. We don't don't want to be anywhere in that. Suppressing the truth, being ungrateful, claiming to be wise, yet becoming fools. Here's something you've heard me say many times. When you read in Scripture some description of sin... Note that and do the opposite. When you read some description of sin, wickedness, error, note that and do the opposite. So what would it be now? Be wise. Load the knowledge of God's word in your mind. Treat God as God Love him as he has loved us, and in every way, inside and out, be a disciple of Christ. Let's stand as we sing.